Matt Money Smith here from the Petros and Money Show saying a big what up, Utes, to all of you. Hi, this is Roxy Bernstein from ESPN, Pac-12 Networks, and the Oakland A's. You've got it dialed in to old Ute Radio. I would think of something clever to say, but I really can't right now. Yeah, I feel you. Just make room for something better. Something better for both of us, you know. And welcome back to All You Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With me in studio, Sasha Bloom, Brittany Johnson, and the Utah sports reporter for the Salt Lake Tribune, Kyle Goon. Kyle, how's it going, man? Oh, I'm I'm going great with this music right now. Just you feeling doing it? A little shoulder roll. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, there's only so much I can do with my back right now, but you know, that's a uh, shoulder roll has been approved. <laughs> so, what exactly happened with your back, man? Well, I'm just carrying this beat all the time. <laughs> no, uh, I, I uh, tore a disc and had to get surgery, so it was uh, pretty, pretty painful. Sasha saw me at various times last year where I could barely walk. Walk. Yeah. yeah but I was I'm, so sad for you. I'm I'm doing much better. I'm doing much better today. About a month and a half out from my surgery, and and. Uh, Ready to get this football season going for sure. Was that an old sports injury or? <laughs> <laughs> Mike picks up snorts, right? Yeah. Um, no, I I honestly have no idea. I mean, uh, you know, at, 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 at the time I got it, I was working a lot, uh, working out a lot at home and doing some running. But, um, you know, uh, it just honestly, happens. It just happened. So it's extremely unpleasant. Um, but. Uh, that is like the one time I will openly root for the U of U when they're cutting me open and and messing with my body. So they, they help me out a lot, the doctors over there, and I'm feeling much better now. It's a great school of medicine. Yeah, it is. My kid's been there several times at the hospital. Really? Yeah, it's one of those things as a journalist or someone in media, I have to stay real removed from the athletes that I help broadcast. But as a person who was a student there, there's so many things I'm grateful for at the University of Utah. And when you have those experiences with professors and medical doctors, it really opens your eyes to what a great institution that school is. And I think the sports program is a carryover of that vision of the professors and athletes and doctors and that. Is it hard for you, Kyle, to not be a fan of the youth since you're so close to them and you have such personal ties to the school? Um, no, I, <laughs> I think you're overstating the, the personal ties. I, but, um, I mean, I'm, I'm an outsider, so it's actually a little bit easier. Uh, I'm from Maryland originally. Um, and, uh, it's kind of funny when you get onto a beat like Utah, which has such pronounced rivalries and history and, and, uh, and, I, I feel like it's fair to say venom kind of running through it. It's like people kind of project things on you. It's like, oh, well, clearly you on, you only care about them playing the rivalry because, and I'm like, I just got here. I, <laughs> I don't, I really don't. Actually, one of the first times I did a story here when I was still an intern, I uh, covered a prep football game between Olympus and Skyline, Battle for the Rock, which is one of the biggest rivalries in the Valley, right? And and uh, I come in. This is maybe my third football game I've covered for for the Tribune, and and they had a fight on the field at the end of the game, and and the Olympus coach called me a couple of days later, and said and had me come into his office and was saying, 
well, you wrote it in such a biased way, and you obviously think you know you're putting Roger Dupay on a pedestal and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't know anything about this rivalry or Roger Dupay. <laughs> you just wrote what you saw. I wrote what I saw, and admittedly, like I did not see what he thought I should have seen. Like, yeah, I mean, I was kind of on the field level, and I had a certain viewpoint, and he had a certain viewpoint, and he had the benefit of having some film he could kind of play back and after the game and look at it and see what happened. But, I mean, it's interesting what people try to project on on you as as a journalist saying, oh, well, you clearly want this or want that. And most of the time, I just I just want to be at home watching television, watching a movie, watching John Wick for the 40th time. <laughs> so I, I don't really have a dog in the fight. And as you get more experience in the business and maybe you this is like this for you guys too it's like it's sort of easier to detach because for me anyway i mean i think some of the sports loyalties i grew up with um you know it's sort of just kind of once you kind of get a flavor for what how the sports world works and and you know how you know sometimes coaches turn on you coaches get mad at you for reporting something i mean you kind of just maybe lose a little bit of the fervency you had as a fan i mean i i know when I was in college at Maryland, I was one of the crazy people rushing the court and stuff like that. And and now I wouldn't be caught dead doing something like that. But, you know, it I, changes. I ask that question because I've seen Dr. Chris Hill, the athletic director, you know, pat you on the back and say, hey, how are you, Kyle? I've seen Coach Whittingham actually smile when he sees you. You know, so I've seen these various archetypes of the athletic department being friendly. So, you know, obviously, you're not going to go into a situation and be rude and smug toward them, and they're not going to do that because there's an unprofessionalism involved with it. I was just curious of, you know, if you slam a quarterback, and, and you're, that's not your style to slam someone in the newspaper, but if you're hard on a specific player or a program at the U, is it hard to smile back at those, or do you feel guilty, or you have any of those types of pressures? Oh, I, th- I think, um, you know, if you want to, I, I think the problem comes in when you, um, if, I, I'm not saying I, I've, I do this, but if you are trying to be friends with some of the guys and you're trying to, like, develop a source in the, hey, I'm your, your bro kind of way, then they kind of develop the expectation that, hey, you're not going to slam them. And eventually, sooner or later, I mean, like, there's probably going to be a game where I'm going to have to be critical mm. of a guy or critical of a coach. And, and like, you know, I, I get warm to a point of, hey, we can talk about X, Y, Z. You know, obviously I talk about Chris, talk to Chris now and then and talk to Kyle about X, Y, Z. Actually, at one of the media days uh, last year, Kyle Whittingham, I thought, you know, that's kind of the one-on-one time we get with him. And we had lunch, and I thought I was going to be asking Kyle questions, and he started asking. He's like, so you got a girlfriend? And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah. And he said, well, do you guys live together? I'm like, no. He's like, well, when are you guys going to move in together? I was like, oh, my gosh, he's kind of grilling me right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there's only a certain extent that can go because at the end of the day, I mean, like my responsibility isn't to make Kyle Winningham look good or the players look good. It's to tell the truth and, and serve – the, the readers and serve the audience um, and tell them really what's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, I, I do keep a little bit of distance. I think it's easier for me to kind of 
root for the guys after they leave. I mean, you know, um, you know, it's kind of cool seeing a guy like Jason Fanica make it to the NFL, and and after knowing a story like his, um, he was supporting his family for a while, and and that's a little bit easier when you can kind of like take that step back. You don't have to cover him anymore, you know, and and you're just sort of like, hey, it's cool, it's cool. I know this guy, uh, I know a little bit about him, and and it's cool that he's having some success and. And you're not in a position where at any moment you, you have to kind of be critical of those guys. Is it difficult to write and report on a student athlete since they're not professionals? Because I've, I've in a meetings with the Pac-12 or with Fox, one of the directives to our on-air talent is, hey, be careful. These are 17, 18-year-old young men who aren't professionally paid. And so they do pull back criticism on throwing techniques on the way they hit the hole or the way they carry their bodies or how deep they get for their sets on the defensive line. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's like a hierarchy. It's like the older they get, the bigger level, the more criticisms the individual players get. Um, You know, but I mean, still, like if somebody gets burned on a coverage or somebody like misses a wide open guy, I mean, and then that kid's getting get a little burned. I mean, that that's just kind of that level. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a big money business. Um, everyone and, saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I would say there's probably, um, especially in this market, um, maybe, a, a, there's a level removed of like the professional athlete criticism and the college athlete criticism. But, um, you know, in some markets, I mean, like, you know, I'm sure in LA, I mean, they're, they're just as hard on, those guys as there are as pros and, and it, it varies. I mean, it very I think it has a lot to do with how the audience views it and, and, and how competitive the markets are. And, and, but yeah, I, I kind of find, you know, certain things you kind of maybe are, are going to be a little bit more forgiving per se, just say, you know, I mean, these aren't, these are adolescent, kids in some case some of them are you know legally men but um you know are still kind of growing up and they're not millionaires they're not you know not paid they're not paid so it's it's a little bit different level of scrutiny i think in our market for sure Brittany, when you were in california growing up in the matt leinert reggie bush era from an outside because i wasn't in california then they were celebrities weren't they weren't they a level hollywood celebrities celebrities all around town if you didn't watch football, you still knew who these guys were. It's just a different, you're set to a different standard. You are a celebrity then. In your journalism classes, did you guys cover the Leinerts and the Reggie Bushes and how they were accelerated to celebrity passes? And Because obviously the media missed something with the Reggie Bush. I mean, he's lost his Heisman Trophy after he left school. Obviously he was getting, but there was a lot of stuff that was kind of pushed down. Under the table yeah. that you didn't hear about. Mm-hmm. And I think as journalists, some journalists had to take a step back and really look at their coverage and say, am I leaving stuff out? What what should I have done? Could I have done something better? Because, I mean, everyone knew what was going on. No one reported it. Mm. So it's just you really got to look at yourself as a journalist and say, should I have should I been reporting stuff like that? Or why weren't you? Is it because you were friends with this guy? Were, was there some sort of benefit that you were getting that you did not report these types of things that were going on? Why didn't you do it? If you hear of a student athlete at the U, Kyle, 
who got stabbed or got arrested with drugs or hitting a lady. Are you going to report on that? Are you going to double source it? How far does your arm go to protect the university, the Tribune, yourself? Oh, I, I think at this point, I mean, uh, you know, a cer- certain, I mean, what happened with like Corey Butler Bird this season, um, you know, I mean, he, he's, he got arrested. Obviously, if it affected his status on the team. I mean, at, at, these guys are also public figures. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that that is something that comes in to give them more scrutiny than, say, the average college student. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't really, uh, I, I don't, I don't really try and feel bad about it. I mean, it's not like, um, like maybe in a Google search, like <laughs> that kind of sucks sometimes, but. Um, you know, it's not anything that's not going to come up if you're trying to get a certain kind of caliber job or, I mean, it's, it's like people check that stuff anyway and court cases. I mean, you could, you could go check me out on court cases and see how the obscene number of speeding tickets I've gotten. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I mean, I'm, you know, I, I think, um, there is sort of a, you know, there are conversations, um, you know, something like. Um, Travis Wilson the other year when he got busted at a concert drinking a beer and he's 20 years old. I mean, I think it was reported because it happened in a public venue, but something like that, I mean, it is uh, to me um, a little bit like, well, <laughs> I'm, you know, it is kind of weird though in this state because you know, BYU has such a different standard. I mean, BYU, if a guy gets caught drinking at a concert, that is news and, and because of the honor code. So I think that maybe a little bit kind of spreads out to the other schools. I mean, and, and, and sort of it, you know, something like Travis drinking at a concert when he's, you know, less than a year away from his 21st birthday is news at that point. But I, I mean, in general, I, I, if like, if, um, you know, it was another college student. Like, I, I don't know if I'd give that much of a, give that much of, of a, uh, I care that much about it. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, t- it's tough. I think it's individual cases, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to necessarily protect the university in any situation. I don't see that as my job. I see my job as holding a very big business, a multi-million dollar business accountable to, the people of Utah and people who pay taxes here and, and the people who buy the tickets and, and people should know what's going on and where their money's going and, and what it's producing. I think you do that effectively. And I think that's one of the reasons why I personally enjoy reading your column, because you're not just going to give me player stats and reviews of the game or projections of the game. I'm going to get real finances of what's going on at Rice Eccles Stadium, the football stadium. I'm going to get a report with you really investigating the finances that are going on there. And you're going to talk about human interest stories of some of the players, some of the coaches. As a storyteller, as a journalist, what do you enjoy to write? I really enjoy, uh, I think I enjoy the most the personal stories, just um, being able to bring to light things that you didn't know about people that you see every day. And that's, I think that's the reaction I most enjoy. Um, you know, and, and I don't know if that plays any big social role, um, sort of as the watchdog or anything. I don't, I don't think it does necessarily, but I, I really do enjoy 
kind of that feeling of of knowing something about someone before everyone else does and finding a way to flesh it out and, and make it real to people and and then kind of coming up with something that that's special in that way. I mean, uh, I did a story on Garrett Bowles uh, last week, and I, I, there was stuff out there about him and, and his background, but um, I tried to tell it my own way, hopefully, and and kind of put my own spin on it. And and I think if if anything, I tried to um, I tried to be a person that when you think about me and, and my coverage. Hopefully you're thinking, oh, Kyle, I, I want to know what Kyle Goon has to say or, or thinks about this or, or can observe about this person or player or, or topic. And, and, and I, I want to know what he, he sees. So hopefully that's kind of what people are getting out of what I do. As a journalist, you have a very important job because you are pretty much placing the, your agenda setting. You're telling us and everyone else what they should care about. So how do you decide as a journalist what makes a story? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's sometimes tough because I, I think there are two competing instincts. One is, you know, what do you kind of personally find interesting and what do you think is, is going to be new and breaking new ground? And then there, there's also that dynamic of, well, what's everyone talking about, right? I mean, if everyone's talking about the the quarterback battle, I mean, that's something you got to devote a lot of your time and resources to. So um, that's been challenging, especially since Matthew Piper, um, my my beat partner, um, left the beat. I mean, it's it was sort of kind of fun to have the two heads together, and we could kind of suss out, you know, okay, what do you think is important? What do you think is important? Where do you think we're hitting? Um, and um, and it was a little more of a discussion. Now it's sort of a little bit more discussion between me and my editor sometimes or um, sometimes with myself. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a little tricky. I mean, I think you kind of have to look what's out there, what are people doing, and and you have to kind of devote some of your time to what is new, what am I going to do that no one else can do, but also you have to devote some of your time to what does everybody want to know about, what is everyone talking about, what are the talk radio people talking about, and, and get some stuff out on that. So I try to do maybe half and half if I'm having a good week and maybe more with the flow if I'm not having a great week. So, But I try to, do, I try to bring something different, uh, at least a little bit of the time, hopefully fifty percent of the time, and 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 make people think, oh, I I didn't know that about the team, or I didn't I didn't understand this issue well until it was explained in such and such a way. So that's what I look for. Your morning meetings, or I don't know when you guys do your meetings at work. <laughs> um, what are those like? Do you guys bounce ideas off of each other? You guys have people who are covering covering the jazz or people that are covering BYU, different beat writers, do you guys all put your heads together and kind of say, hey, I heard about this, Kyle, this may be a good story for you or no? Well, <laughs> honestly, I, I think a lot of sports departments uh, really get together pretty rarely, honestly. Um, and it's kind of tough because uh, people are sort of interested in working in their own space and, and kind of uh, working at home or working near – wherever the campus is. It's a little different for me since uh, my campus is also close to my office, so I go in more 
and I talked to my editor a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, it's sort of uh, when I do get together with the editors, it is sort of like, okay, what's what's being talked about? What haven't we hit? You know, and 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 we need to really tackle this issue because it's sort of sitting out there, and 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 that's the kind of stuff we talk about. But honestly, the sports department at the Tribune probably only gets together like two or three times a year all in one room. And I mean, Gordon Monson, literally every time uh, we have a meeting, he calls up to our boss be like, what's the elevator code again? <laughs> <laughs> Gordon never remembers the elevator code to our building. So. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and sort of, you know, when you see somebody somebody like Gordon in the office. And, and that's not to say they're, these guys aren't working hard. They just sort of do their own thing and, and, and kind of stay in their own zone. And obviously Gordon has another job, but like when you see like Gordon or Jay Drew in the office, it's like, oh, maybe I should get my taxes done. <laughs> <laughs> that surprises me because in television news and in radio, the on-air talent, the, the reporters, they have very good relationships with their editors or if you're in radio your producer because if you don't have that relationship nothing works is it different because you're you're writing and it's a very solitary thing but i know that a good editor can make a good writer one of the special teams in broadcasting yeah i mean um you know i think there is an element of the the tribune is not the size that it used to be yeah and a lot of people have a lot of work to do. And, and, and all, I think ideally, you know, we would have more meetings where we're sort of like, what's the big picture? What's, what's our strategy? What's our long-term strategy? But I think the reality is, I mean, we dedicate a lot of resources to kind of getting through a day or getting through a week. And, and it's, it's just a little tougher than, than it used to be. And, and you know, we're sort of, um, as we were kind of mentioning off-air before the show, it's like we're going through some transition right now and we have a new editor coming in and and so it you know it's an exciting time but it's also sort of a holding pattern time um you know nobody gets hired and and there's not a lot of movement on jobs and whatnot so um you know it is sort of we are sort of maybe in more of a stasis right now than we usually would be but it, it it's just challenging for when you are down on, on staff and and don't have as many people as you're used to, I think it's challenging for everyone to devote energy to both. All right, how are we going to get through today? And what do we want our coverage to be throughout the course of a season? What's what's sort of our plan week by week? And what, what stories do we want to do this year? You know, and, and so it's it's tough. It's it's tougher than it used to be. Your medium is very hard, too. Writing is a hell of a job. I, I really struggle. Well, it's hard. You're talented, though, and I'm not in writing, so it might be a lot easier for you. Were you always a good writer as a little boy, and into your adolescence, were you always keeping diaries and journals? And uh, I, I don't know if I was good. I I, I think um, the thing was, I mean, I did a lot of writing that was sort of the thing I'd like to do the most out of school, even though I, was, <laughs> I wasn't always great at school either. But, um, and then I, I was doing, you know, like high school newspaper stuff and college newspaper stuff. And then um, one time in college, I took a business writing course. And, um, and 
you know, we had, it's sort of that writing style that's like, you write for certain objectives and you write. And I just kind of felt like I was, I was just sort of, all right, well, whatever. And writing some stuff. And my, my professor was like, wow, this is great. And I was like, well, I was like, oh, so like, you, you think this is good? And, and you just sort of realize, like, honestly, it's just one of those things, like almost anything is like, the more you do it, the more you kind of get into it and, and, and the better you get at it. And, and if you read more, you kind of know what you like and, and you kind of think of different choices you, you want to make and, and what you're, it, it, to me, it's, it's become somewhat intuitive, but over the course of many years, I mean, over the course of a, a long um, writing career, I didn't, I didn't think I was particularly good at, at any point when I was coming up, but then one day people started saying, oh, like, oh, you, you kind of, your writing, your writing style really um, speaks to me or works for me. And, and it's just sort of, it's just something you kind of get, for me anyway, an intuitive feel for, is this good? Can I do it? Can it be better? Can it hit a little harder? And, uh, and so you sort of learn you know, what you're kind of looking for when you're reporting, what, like, I, th- I think also what I do is when I'm reporting something, I try to come up with specific ideas of what I would want in the story, what kinds of, you know, anecdotes or, or details or the level of detail I want in the story. And that's how I re- report it as, as like, what, what, what would I actually want to read about this person or this thing? what would make it stand out for me? And then I try to go after that sort of detail. Like with, I did a story uh, in today's paper on Morgan Scally. And my question was, well, what has Morgan actually done in a game where he has influence over the defense? And so I kind of, and talked to Jay Hill, who's over at Weeper State. And he's like, oh, well, he called this play and he called this play and he came up with this. And Kyle was like, at the time we called it, Kyle's like, why are we doing this? And, And Kalani said, oh, Morgan... Morgan scouted it. We know it's okay. We we know, you know, it'll work and it did work. And so that's the kind of stuff you want to know about a defensive coordinator. What kind of experience does he have? What has he done to this point to influence Utah's defense? And, and what kind of stories can I tell that, that show that? So that's what I look for when I'm writing a piece like that, for sure. See, my problem with newspaper, I broadcast, writing for broadcast and writing for newspaper or web article Completely different. In broadcast, it's just, I'm like, yes, no complete sentences. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> and then next thought, dot, dot, dot. And then you sit there and then you try to write the article for the web. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't even write a complete sentence. It's taking me forever. <laughs> so I have much respect to you guys who are writing newspaper articles all the time because I'm just like, I can't do it. I just need dot, 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 next thought, dot, dot, dot. One of my biggest failures as a man is understanding the comma. Can't do it. Like I either add too many commas, I don't add the right comma in the right spot. It's exhausting. Do you study the AP style guide all the time? Are you reading grammar books? Are you constantly working on your craft as a writer? Or do you just show up with the laptop and some notes? And Well, I actually started out in college as a, as a copy editor, which is a person that is supposed to know those rules yeah. and style and grammar and I'm not always the best at it but I think um comparatively 
with people that only have the writing experience and have never been on the editing side, the copy might be a little cleaner. And um, like, honestly, that's what you want. You want the copy editors to be your friends. <laughs> and you, you don't want them to look at your story as like, oh, this is going to be a, a lot of work for me. You know, it's, and then because, you know, the, the stuff you get from those editors will be a lot more interesting and receptive and conceptual rather than, um, by the way, you did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And so um, I think it's important to, to know that stuff um, just because of the process. And, and also, I mean, if you, when you make certain choices, um, you know, you, you kind of know what you're doing and, and, and there's like in, in print writing, um, one thing that's a little bit more subtle is just the rhythm you try to create. And, um, and there's something really to that where, you know, hopefully in a good piece, you're sort of like getting a feel for what the flow of the writing is. And it's not just, here's a fact, here's a fact, here's a fact, here's a fact. I mean, uh, it's more, um, you know, the structural choices, even if they're unconventional, um, you know, they, they create a flow to the piece that sort of gets people to invest a little more deeply in it. So that, I think the learning the rules of, of writing are, are important in that sense. So you said that you wrote on your high school school paper, your college school paper. Did you always know that you wanted to be a journalist or when did you make that decision? I don't remember making a decision as, <laughs> as this is like always something I've done. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's kind of a, it's really kind of a stupid way of looking at it when you think about how I made that choice was sort of like, oh, you're good at writing. What do writers do? Well, they write books. They write, they write newspapers. And I was like, okay, so I'll just, I'll just do that. And it was, it's always something I've done more so than a choice I made to be like, hey, I'm, this is what I'm going to be when I'm grow, I'll grow up. I mean, I just kind of did it throughout and I freelanced a little bit when I was in high school, freelanced a little bit more when I was in college and did college newspaper. Um, and just kind of being, uh, you know, I, I also kind of realized uh, at newspapers, especially in college, like, um, you know, there's like, I'm sure like you guys in radio and, and broadcast, it's sort of like you look around and, and you make some friends and you're like, these are my people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're kind of, you know, journalism people, they're kind of snarky, they're funny, they're, they're flawed in very charming ways. <laughs> I don't have any flaws. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so true. Go ahead and say something smart. I see it. <laughs> but um, So you just but felt yeah. like it's your tribe. Like it's just your people. You feel yeah. good when you these go to the are, Tribune. You feel home. These are my people. These are, these are like, you know, uh, I think, I think journalists, uh, you know, some of the, good ones always have like a little bit of asshole in them. Just like, I kind of, I kind of want to mess things up a little bit and skew with people's perceptions. Like it, because it, it's just sort of like you see something somewhat hypocritical and no one says anything about it. And you're like, what, why isn't anyone talking about this? I mean, and Piper is exactly like that, mm. by the way, like Piper is that to the nth degree um, where he's like, yeah, you know, people people think this about X Y Z, but that's kind of bullshit. Like, and and uh, I mean, I think it's something I certainly appreciate. Just sort of having people that have that perspective 
of where some people might be like, well, everything's gravy or I don't really need to know about this. Journalists are the people that are sort of like, well, is everything great? I mean, isn't this messed up for this reason or doesn't it kind of, isn't it unfair for these people or, and, and it's just sort of, you, you kind of just look at the world a little more critically and differently. And, and, and to me, that's, that's fun. That's, that's, um, that's something our society needs from not just journalists, but everyone. It seems to me in the last 30 years, especially the last 10 years or so that writing and media in general has really changed with the internet because you have websites like Bleacher Report and For the Win who really are editorial reporters, writers, bloggers, whatever they are, but they really hit hard and they screw things up like at Golden State. I've seen it in the jazz where we get these bloggers and sort of part-time radio hosts who go in and almost screw up everything for people like you and Tony Jones and other reporters. Is it good for journalism to have to compete with the editorialization of blogging? Um, I, I mean, I'm never going to be one of those people that says, um, you know, wholesale that blogging creates problems. I mean, uh, you know, I have people in mind that I'm like, I, I, maybe I view them work. I'm like, well, like this person isn't serious, you know, but mm. at the same time, um, you know, how much, how much good has come out of, uh, out of blogging for for journalism, I was actually just thinking about this the other day because, um, you know, the I don't know if you guys follow what happened with Gawker, sure, um, yep. Gawker dot com, and and uh, you know they had a lawsuit that brought them down with the Hulk um, Hogan case, yeah, and and it just forced me to think a little bit about Deadspin, which you know, depending on your flavor for sports media, I think at times uh, you know lacked class, sure, but at the same time. Um, you know, they broke the Manti Teo story where conventional media was fine with, oh my gosh, your girlfriend died. Tell me, tell me about her. And like, they were able to prove that this person never existed. I mean, like, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> and, and, um, and, and then they also, in my opinion, have, have been some of the best, um, uh, journalists assigned to domestic violence and, and talking about some of the cases that have plagued the NFL, I think they do some of the best writing on that. So I think journalism in the end is is supposed to be a democratic medium. It's supposed to be something where if you have a critical eye and you have talent and you have um, just a need to, to find out what's true and what's not, then you should have a seat at the table, whether that's in a newspaper or in on TV or radio or, or blogging. I think you know, not everyone aspires to the best standard. I mean, I, I I would I would love the chance to maybe like meet with some people who don't don't aspire to anything and and maybe just want to be around the sport. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of where I see that that being a weakness. Oh, I want to be close to um, you know NBA players. I just want to be around them. Like you shouldn't. That's that shouldn't be why you're in the business. Just because I mean, you know, there is always that aspect of feeling important <laughs> that, that, mm. that people get and that's not bad but it, it can be it do, it's not going to help you if you get to the point where it's like oh I'm like 
I'm like hanging around NBA players all the time or NFL players all the time. Like that's what I want out of this business. That's, that's not going to serve you or anyone who reads you uh, that you gotta, you gotta want something um, a little deeper than that to, to be actually successful here. Will you take a photo with Bill Walton or Kobe Bryant or is that just a no, no? No, I, I, because it gets tricky. Like I, like when I see yeah. Bill Walton, the only thing I want to do is like, dude, let's talk Grateful Dead. Like that's all I want to like. When he goes off on thirty minute tangents on ESPN about Grateful Dead, I'm the only one on headset who's encouraging it. You know, and our producers like, you know, get off the topic, get off the topic, and he'll take off his headset and do that. But when I see Kobe Bryant, it's like, well, I kind of want to get a photo with you and ask you how you're doing, but I can't. I can't do that. Do you, do you deal with those types of issues? Um, I. I'm I I don't think I've ever taken a picture with anybody. I mean, there's like maybe a list of three people in sports I would take a picture with, and that's like Cal Ripken Jr. and Ray Lewis, who you know the <laughs> yeah. 11 year old in me could mm. never could never pretend sure to be professional about that. But yeah, would I'm, you share that photo? Um, I don't know. I don't know, but. I would probably share it just to at least put it all out there. But you know, as far as I've I've gone up to people like Bill Walton, just said, "Oh, just want to say, um, you know, that, uh, I, I was a fan at one point, and, mm-hmm. and nice to meet you." And uh, actually, Steve Blake, uh, who used to be a star at Maryland, won won a national championship at Maryland one time at Jazz game. I just shook his hand mm-hmm. and I said, "You know, I." I went to Maryland. I was a big fan of yours growing up, and that's as far as I'll go. I'm not. I'm not going to take a picture with Steve Blake, and because that that kind of, especially, um, certain people, and I, I feel like it's fair to say, you know, like women in the sports business, you're you're at a disadvantage if you somebody sees you taking a picture. It's like it's really hard for, um, and I think people would judge somebody like Brittany more harshly than they would judge me for taking a picture with somebody and. And be like, oh well, like Britney's just here for you know to be around the people, and, and 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 but that whole effect is like applies to pretty much everyone. People stop, don't take you as seriously if they see, oh well, he just wants to be around the celebrities and and blah blah blah. And, and there are people who can do that. There are people in the business who, you know, probably are famous enough where they can withstand that, mm. but not me. I mean, I'm and. And, I, you know, frankly, I don't think it's as big as a deal um, today than maybe when I started. But, too, at the same time, like uh, someone like Jamel Hill, she was speaking and she said, sometimes these athletes want to take the picture with you. So then it's kind of like, what do you do? Like, for instance, she was saying one time she met Muhammad Ali. Um, I forget what basketball game he was at. It, I think it was at a Michigan game. Uh, but he was in the back, and he wanted to take pictures with the journalist. So then it's kind of like, what do you do? Do you share the picture? Because then do you have to explain yourself and say, I didn't want to take the picture. Muhammad Ali wanted to take the picture. So what do you do? Well, I think it is a little different for Jamel because she's at the stature where she is also a celebrity. But this was back when she was like oh, really? just starting out. Yeah. So she oh. was just like, what do you do? You have Muhammad Ali. That's like, take the picture. Well, I wouldn't say no. If somebody's that determined, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'll take the picture, but I probably wouldn't be like, 
I probably would yeah. be like, oh my gosh, I met Mo- I'm Well, if it was Muhammad Ali, <laughs> I, think we all, I think we all would. It's but... kind of like sometimes you're screwed either way yeah. because you, you can't be rude and say, no, I'm not going to take a picture with you. I'm a journalist. I'm respectable. But then at the same time, it's kind of like you don't want to take the picture because then people are going to say you're just in it for the celebrities, for this, for that. Yeah, well, you know, there. I the thing I really take issue with is if you have a press pass and you go seek someone out because you want that picture. Yeah, I think I the seeking that. out part yeah. is really the part that's problematic for people. And, and uh, you know, I mean, even at Utah practices, I'll see people – afterwards who have press passes and they're sort of like yo just chilling with my man blah 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 and like it's like no you don't know them except for this relationship you have where you're supposed to be a professional and they're supposed to be a professional like we don't actually that's the other thing that kind of gets me it's like you know we don't really know these people like even though they want to say or even though you, you know, on one level they may seem cool but then it's like you have somebody like I'm sure there's like media covering who covered Greg Hardy, um, who who like the win or Ray Rice is a great example. Like when I mean Ray Rice was like a saint in Baltimore, and I say this being from Baltimore, I know how he's perceived. Um, and then you see that video, and everything you think you know about that person changes. So that's the other thing I think when you develop these relationships about keeping space is like. The, the reality is like you never you don't know what that person's like when they go home when they see the people they love i mean you know that person could be a horrible person uh, and you don't want to be in a situation where you're sort of like you, you sort of by association have sort of given your blessing this person and then it turns out that oh they did something that is pretty indefensible you know what i mean so it's it's tough i think to draw that line but I think as long as you don't go out seeking it, as long as you don't go out thinking like, I want this picture with this person or I want to be friends with this person, I think that's sort of the line where it's like, okay, from that point on, like, you know, you're a professional, you're acting in a certain way, you have certain responsibilities um, versus you're a fanboy or a girl, yeah. woman. Fan, fan woman, woman. man. <laughs> but what's kind of scary too is going back to blogging, you do have bloggers who are now getting media passes because they have a strong following on social media or their website gets XYZ amount of clicks. And then they show up to these games. You, They haven't gone through background checks. They haven't gone through certain security things that we have had to go through for our job. So you do have some people that are crazy and they're in the same room as you or they're toe-to-toe with a... NBA player or a football player standing right next to them taking a picture. It's kind of getting nuts now. Yeah. yeah. Like that's a part of their content. Yeah. Having that photo yeah. with the celebrity is a big part of it. Yeah. And it's not perfect. And and I do worry sometimes about, um, you know, what I would call serious journalists being conflated with not serious people. I mean, you know, I, I do have a problem sometimes with, you know, somebody kind of placing one of my articles, which, you know, I, I'm uh, okay. I'm going to sound like a bit of a dick here, but I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I went to school for this. I, I earned a degree 
specifically for this field. I've been doing this professionally for six years, um, but even I was getting paid for that even before I graduated from college. And then, and then you know, my articles are go through a level of scrutiny where they go through editors, and and then like so that article conflated with some something that somebody like I, I like literally last year I read a story that was like. Dominic Hatfield due for a big year. I just feel it. And like, and then like literally like a week later he got arrested. And I mean, it's just, it's just like, it, you know, people have a really hard time conflating their feelings with something that's true. And it's just like, I feel like he's, he's really got it this year. And you know, I mean, I do have a problem with people kind of looking at that the same way with the same level of importance was like, Oh, Kyle wrote this, but this other guy who is a fan wrote that. And like, so they just cancel out. And I don't believe that, but hopefully I think, I think it's sort of that situation where athletes kind of talk about not like leading with their, with their work and by doing it on the field. And I hope I kind of do enough on the field, you know, it's like where people take me seriously and kind of look at me as an authority compared to maybe some other people who do this. And and hopefully, uh, you know, the goal is always to be looked at as the number one authority. Maybe I'm not that, but hopefully I'm, I'm in that top realm of people who, okay, Kyle, what Kyle writes is, is a little more serious and a little more true and a little more scrutinized. So, so you know, I'm going to weigh this with more importance than maybe something else. Is that responsibility burdensome or stressful? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about uh, people like TMZ? TMZ is first to report a lot of things. They have broken a lot of stories, which nine times out of ten, they end up being 100% true. Facts. How do you feel about someone like uh, your article being next to something like a TMZ? That's tough. I, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, I kind of put TMZ on that same slate with Deadspin where it's like some of the stuff you're like, oh, like mm-hmm. who cares? But then some of the stuff it's like, oh, they like got the Ray Rice footage. And I know the way they do their jobs is a little different because they pay people. A lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of so, money. And I Harvey mean, is a lawyer or was a lawyer. I don't know if he's whatever, but. Yeah. yeah, so I I mean, but then again, I mean, you know, some of the things they've done are sort of important and and so I I, I don't really know how to answer that to any um in any conclusive way, but uh certainly they do things that are of journalistic value and and that's probably where I got to leave well, it. Put it this way, it's kind of nuts when I'm where I used to work in LA before this I was in LA. And then you have um, your ABC, your CBS, your NBC, and your Fox in the courtroom. And then you have TMZ there as well. And so you have to sit there and think, like, this shit's getting real. TMZ <laughs> is in the courtroom. Or they've requested pool for the courtroom. So now you, everything is up to TMZ. And they're your outlet. They're your source for every other media site. It's kind of like it makes you sit there and stop and really think like we're really getting stuff from tmz but they have really talented people working there too they're not just slubs off the street spiking heroin they're 
they're good. They're UCLA grads. They're Berkeley grads. Yeah. They're Arizona State grads. But that's know? what, it, like, people are taking them for a joke. Yeah. And it's like, no, you really have to sit there and look like these guys are here to play ball. Just from a purely, like, First Amendment, like, standpoint, like, I would rather live in a world with TMZ than without. I mean, it's like if that that's kind of the trick with, like, the blogging people and TMZ podcasting, and Docker, yeah. podcasting. It's sort of like, well, you know, if I were to sit here in judgment and say, well, those people aren't serious or those people are unprofessional or they pay to, to get the information, then it's like th- – then I'm sort of backtracking on, in my opinion, on one of the, the, the fundamental right of being American. And, and and you know, I mean, in, in the in the real world, it's like you, you want to live in a world where, you know, somebody, no matter what the means are, can break the Ray Rice story – you know, I mean, you want to live in that world where where that happens versus where we're like worried about decorum or you know means or I I, I would rather live in a world with more information than restricting how or what we can report. So you're never you're never you're you're not going to hear me say TMZ should be burned down to the ground. I mean, you know, there are things I find personally distasteful about it. But at the same time, it's like, well, there's some results there. I mean, you can't, I can't just be like, well, only certain people are going to be invited to the party. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I was taught in journalism school was the advent of the five-tool journalist. You better learn how to write. You better learn how to photog. You better learn how to edit. You better learn how to have an on-air presence. With the decline in the newspaper or the evolution of the newspaper as a whole, do you see yourself going more into a broadcasting sense? And because you're very good in television, you're very good on radio. You kind of, you know, I always see you shooting video and taking photos. You seem like you're one of those young five tool journalists. Well, I, I just think of it as, um, in what ways can I engage people? Uh, instead, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not perfect and I don't definitely don't do as much uh, multimedia as sometimes I probably should, but I, I just think of it as what ways can I engage people? What, you know, and, and I think the most important thing of what we do specifically in sports is like you, you get to go behind the curtain. You get to go to places and things that people don't see. Um, and, and I'm always thinking, well, in what way can I engage people in just showing them what's behind the curtain, showing them what I get to see. And sometimes that's just in my story. Sometimes that's photo. Like yesterday when, when we were at the Pac-12 network shoot, I just like, oh, I'll just snap a quick picture of them, like setting up the, the studio or, or the uh, interview. And sometimes, you know, that's um, an interview of my own with somebody and just like, hey, what is this player like? I mean, Troy Williams, no one's seen him play yet. He's he's people have only experienced him through the stories and videos and video interviews that they've mm-hmm. seen of him. So it's sort of like, OK, what's behind here? What's behind this curtain? And whatever ways I can do it, um, I, I, I try to do that. Um, but also and also the other consideration for me is. When I'm thinking about doing TV or radio or whatever, it's sort of like, 
what can I do for people to kind of be thinking of my name? Mm. Mm. I mean, very personally, people will be thinking of my brand, um, what I bring to the table, um, the Salt Lake Tribune. I mean, it wasn't an accident yesterday that I go on the Pac-12 network and I'm wearing this polo that says the Salt Lake Tribune on it. I mean, because I want people to think about our brand and and our paper and and uh, what we bring to the table. So, if, and you want the viewers and you want the Boston Globe and all these other LA Times to also know your brand too, right? Uh, well, that's not something I, I worry about uh, on on that level because I mean, no one in Boston has the Pac-12 network, but. <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. So not true. There might be six <laughs> or seven. <laughs> Do you oh, ever man. feel like he took that personally? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but but realistically, uh, and, and maybe this is kind of a weakness. Like if I haven't done a radio interview in a couple of days, and somebody's like, "Hey, do you want to do a radio interview?" I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I have to because I have to be talking and get my stuff out there and and i just want people to be thinking about literally me um and just sort of oh kyle goon yeah uh wonder what he wrote today you know what i mean and so that's the other ways you engage people is through the broadcast and and tv and 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 you're very good on twitter you interact with people that ask ask you questions right it's a neat thing because not a lot of talent in Utah does some, so it seems like it's getting better and better and better, but for years you've been, yeah, ask me anything. Here it's we more go. Acquired, if anything. Though. Well, people yeah. care about you more if they know you're not a robot. People, I mean, if you're not just, like, I think classically journalism has sort of had this attitude of, all right, here's your vegetables. You're going to eat them. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like what I got for you is like, is what you get. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but it can't be like that anymore because it's so competitive because the form format is changing. It has to be a little bit more. All right. What do you guys want to know? Like, tell me and I'll, I'll do what I can to, to get you what I can. And, and so that's what I try to do also on social media. Do you feel like as journalists, sometimes we go too far? Like we're trying to ride that next wave. Like all the kids are on Snapchat. I need a Snapchat now so I can post my stories there or upload some some football play, you know, some great play on Snapchat so then everybody reads my article or everyone's on Instagram. Do you ever feel like we go too far? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, just just think of it this way. I mean, if, you know, especially since I've been doing this on my own for the last eight months, it's sort of like if if I'm constantly just trying to figure out a way to upload something to social media, especially if some if it's something that people can find anyway on YouTube, if I'm not doing it the best of any of my competition, then what's what's the point? I mean, like, because what it, what it's gonna do in the end is really just hurt the reporting I do for my story, which is my main job, right? And and uh, so I, I I go into it these days with an idea of story first, reporting first, get get what I can get, even if it's just not like take putting down my phone and just looking at the actions of and the body language and the gestures of of the team once the game is ending or whatever. That that's what I'm going to do because I'm going to try to write the best story possible. And if I can get video and images and 
Snapchats. <laughs> um, you doing the dog filter? Is that on I, Snapchat? If I can get that without interfering with writing the best story possible, then I'll do it. And so sometimes it just plays into like, oh, well, I'm doing an interview with this person anyway. I'm just going to get my phone out and 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 do, do just record this on video. And then later, if I have some time, I'll go and, and cut it up and, and make it look nicer. So but my definitely especially since Piper left it's story first for me and and hopefully I'm giving people with my writing something that they can't get at that level anywhere else couple more questions here before we wrap up why do people not watch women's sport cuz i find women's softball women's volleyball some of the most exciting sports and some of the happiest athletes i've seen but the crowds are empty, generally speaking, at least at this campus at the University of Utah. Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure I'm totally positioned. I mean, uh, you know, from my perspective, I think some of the stories on women's sports teams are very good, very interesting, um, and and unique. Also, one of the first big stories I did here in this market was on um, a girl who played basketball at Skyline. Um, I say girl because she was 17, and she had a kid before the season. And and she was going as into her senior year as a teenage mother um, and, and trying to kind of make everything work and pull everything together. And, of course, it takes sacrifices by her family. And, and that's a unique story, obviously, um, to women and, and impactful and emotional and, and so for for me, I I you know, um, I don't really see a, a great difference in the amount of fodder I can get. But you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Danny I, Rodriguez. The last four years was she the greatest women's basketball player ever? No. Was she one of the hardest working female athletes ever? Yes. Is was she out? going to the community and giving of her time to the young babies and kids. Yeah, she was, but there is a difference. The community doesn't value her as they do a DeLon Wright or, you know. Well, and this is just sort of, uh, maybe this is way too theoretical, but I think um, Americans, um, there is sort of, this obsession with seeing what they view as the best. And like, you see that in the Olympics this year, if like the Americans don't have a good team, like it's not going to get any coverage at all. Like no one, no one cares. No one's going to watch it. So that's why they're showing swimming and track and, and uh, even women's water polo. Cause we were the favorites for golden women's water polo. They're showing more water polo than some other big sports i mean even like soccer <laughs> it's yeah. because we didn't have a team yeah. so i think maybe the problem is there's a perception that because women as athletes don't match the speed and then the verticality and the height as as men um in a lot of sports um i think the perception is that it's not the best that it's an inferior kind of competition and you know i don't i don't think that's how it should be judged i think you know you gotta kind of take men's basketball and women's basketball even at the college level is a profoundly different sport i mean 
you know, just because it's not as above the rim for women and because, I mean, it's it's a different game. So it should be taken on its own merits, in my opinion, and it sounds like in your opinion also. But. It's very weird to me because having the privilege of going and working all the women's volleyball games in the Pac-12 in Utah, I get to talk to the play-by-play and color commentators, and they consistently tell me that all the Olympic squads are made of Pac-12 volleyball players and that you could put a UCLA against 99% of the teams in the Olympics and they'd win. But they're not, you know, they're not getting the press. They don't get the coverage. They, you know, the Pac-12 is cutting games in this network for women's sports this year because obviously they're probably not getting the numbers. You know, I don't know exactly why they're doing it, but last year I think we televised 14 or 15. This year we got nine, you know. Bottom line, no one wants to, I'm not going to say no one. I don't think that a lot of people think that women's sports is as entertaining as men's sports. If Put it this way, if our USA men's basketball team was dominating this year, if they were great, would we still be, would you care about the women's gymnastics team as much as we do now? Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I, I think it's an unfair, I think, I think it's the basis of people make an unfair comparison between the women's sport and the men's sport. Like, actually, Team USA soccer is a great example where they're winning um, you know, not this year, but they've won gold medals, they've won World Cups, and they're by any measure way more successful than the U.S. men's team. But the U.S. men's team does does well in the numbers because for whatever reason, our society has decided to be like, well, the men who play soccer are faster or stronger than the women who play soccer rather than just grading each sport on its own merit. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying these are the best women in the world, the U.S. team is the best women soccer players in the world. That our mindset is changed by, well, if the you women U.S. soccer team played the men's U.S. soccer team, the men would win. You know, it's sort of, <laughs> and and that's the I think it's a wrong-headed way of looking at it because, you know, it kind of um, insults people who, as you know, work very very hard on their craft and. You know, I mean, especially in college, um, I think it's fair to say that the women who play college athletics take the student athlete part much more seriously yeah, than the can. men do. And and because they know, hey, like once I'm out of school, like there aren't as many pro options for me. And mm-hmm. and I mean, they work really hard and do very hard majors. If you look at the breakdown and, and do, I mean, you know, uh, Taryn uh Wachowski uh from a year or two ago she uh she was pre-med she's pre-biomedical research and she's gonna be a doctor you know what I mean it's like and I don't think I can point right now to one person on the football team that I know of that's definitely gonna be a doctor you know what I mean and she was a star yeah oh 18 19 points a game 11 rebounds I mean she was phenomenal but at the same time it goes to filling stands yeah, it really does. People aren't there. I played basketball, volleyball. I ran track. No one would come to our games. We were one of the best teams in our in our league, in our conference, whatever. No one would come. They would say all the time, you guys are boring. You guys don't dunk. You guys don't do anything. It's just watching layup after layup after layup. So our stands wouldn't get filled until the fourth quarter mm. because everybody's trying to get a good seat to see the guys play. And to circle 
back to your point about gymnastics. I think why um, you know our country is really big into women's gymnastics is because a great deal of men watch that sport and are like, oh, I couldn't do that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's actually a real thing. I mean, I actually was actually talking to Reggie Porter the other day, and I was like, "What's your favorite uh, Olympic sport to watch?" He's like, "Gymnastics, man. It's unbelievable what they do." And that's actually one sport where where uh, women and male viewers are kind of looking at it and be like, "Oh wow, like oh, that's that's crazy. Like no one can do that." And, and and I think that is maybe one theory of why that's so successful in the Olympics versus something like. Um, women's basketball, which is, you know, a great team in its own right, but certainly not getting the same kind of coverage as the women's gymnastics team. So, Kyle, as we wrap this up, you've been uh, you've been working in this industry for quite some time now. Do you have any advice to any young journalists that are starting out now today in this day and age? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to know a couple of kids at the Crony and uh, go through a couple couple interns in our shop and and I mean you know one thing is you know always be willing to work um you know you never know what assignment is going to get you a breakout story I mean a good story and and like we were just discussing it doesn't have to be in football or basketball it, it can be anywhere um and a really good story stand stands on its own merits so you know, do do what you can, work as hard as you can, go to as many events as you can, talk to as people as you can, and, and don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of being dropped in a situation where you have no idea what's going on. My first day as an intern here, I did an interview of Rodeo, which I had never seen and never went to, and I didn't know a thing about, but I just went out there and did that was my first story for the Tribune. And then the other thing is uh, from from almost famous – <laughs> you're not in it to be cool we're not cool I mean there are things about the job that are cool but as sort of alluding to earlier I mean it's like it's not a job where you get to like hang out on couch and like you know get dap from athletes I mean it's it's very much you know you you have to envision yourself having a somewhat serious role you have to envision yourself doing stuff for the people who read you, not for the athletes, not because you want to feel good about like being near celebrities or being near um, high-level athletes, you you gotta want to do it for the the stories and and the people you write for, and and that's that's what the business is about. It's not about just being like. Don't get me wrong, I love as much as anyone. Like in December, I was in Madison Square Garden. And you sit down at your desk and you watch basketball happen like 25 feet away from you. And it's very cool. Like, I don't want to say like you can't enjoy that. And I would say that's a big reason why I do this because I I do feel like I like that feeling of being behind the curtain. But that's not my mission. My mission is not to be in the coolest places. My mission is to write the best stories, to impact the most people. And and that's what you got to want to do here. Well, I think your journal stands by itself, and I think that Salt Lake City as a whole is better for your journalism. And I know all of us are fans of you, and so thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you all next time, or talk to you all next time. Is that what it is? <laughs> Kyle, Kyle, where can we find your articles? Um, so sltrib.com uh, slash utes. 
um, is, is where you're going to find all the Utes coverage. My Twitter's at Kyle Goon, just my name, because uh, no one can forget it once you hear it. So. <laughs> awesome. And then you can find Sasha at Mr. Underscore Bloom. You can find myself at Johnny McKeon. That's M-C-K-E-O-N. Brittany, where can they find you? At B. Johnson, ABC4. Awesome. Thanks. Hey, did your show switch on Saturdays, are you doing evenings now? Is that um, I'm. They're kind of trying me out at both uh, one or the other. Like this week, I'm seven to midnight. Normally, I'm six a.m. to ten a.m. But uh, they're trying me out in the night slot as well. So all day, all night, Johnny right. Promo. Yeah, Johnny jo- Promo for Mix One Hundred Five One. Playing some smooth <laughs> here on the Quiet Storm. <laughs> Oh, we got no. some hits for you lovers out there. <laughs> All right, his mic's off now. This one of those beasts that I get lost in And talk about how this life is exhausting Or how I'm afraid of falling Distance myself so I haven't been calling often Part of me keeps telling myself it's just this precaution But it's just a way of life until loved ones end up in coffins I learned this lesson, I learned this lesson That's why my mind is racing, I'm stuck here watching the wall spin it's hard to go hard when my heart is soften Your life was taken and mine was spared What would it be like if you were still here and I was there? How would I act if God was to tell me my time is near? Only guarantee in life is death so I'm kinda scared to be honest with you I ain't making the best decisions Not every move I'm making is made with the best intentions And yeah I'm far from perfect but I'm tired of overusing that excuse Who am I to complain when most of my time is misused? So I wonder Crazy thing about stars is they don't shine until they die Crazy how people go before you get to say goodbye Crazy how you could look at a person right in their eyes And not even know that next week you'll be asking yourself why As you stand over a casket Questioning what's real cause you can't believe what just happened This all just seemed way too drastic I mean I know it's life and everything ain't always Gucci But dog, this feel like something that's straight up out of a movie for real and I'm sick of wishing and hoping I feel like as of late I'm just going through all emotions How selfish of me trying to be more than a waste of life It's for my uncle locked up in the pen and facing life I miss you and wish that you could be here to see this Even if it doesn't touch the ears it reaches Just know no matter what I'ma be great because I have to If I wrote that letter I was supposed to I would have asked you Some days I look in the mirror and gotta ask myself Some days I look at the sky and can't help but wonder. 